welcome back to the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the new shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We're two girls talking about sports because our opinion counts too. I'm your host, Meredith Hyde, and I'm so excited to be joined by my co-host, Kelsey Trainer. Hey, everybody. Uh, we've got a lot on deck today, uh, but we're kicking things off with some great news. So uh, many of you might remember that last year in the height of COVID, uh, Stanford University actually eliminated 11 sports, citing budgetary issues um, as the result of COVID. Uh, We got news yesterday that Stanford reversed course um, and is bringing those 11 varsity sports back. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Um, And reading through kind of all the articles and, and all the news surrounding uh, bringing these sports back. Um, it just looks like a bunch of alums um, went to Stanford and showed them that they weren't actually saving money by cutting this. I think they went and said that you would, the cuts would only save you four and a half million dollars a year, which was 3% of their athletic department's budget. Um, the 11 sports had already um, had a combined $23 million endowment. And then as of last month, they had received about $50 million in pledges. Um, so uh, I think they're kind of um, their, their reasoning for wanting to cut those sports was, was really debunked. And I mean, uh, it's neither, it's neither here nor there because it's already happening, but uh, some Stanford athletes did file lawsuits um very recently with the intent to force the schools to reverse the decision. Um, I believe they're, they're title nine lawsuits, um, among, uh, maybe other reasons. Um, but the school Stanford said that they, uh, made the decision to restore the sports before those filings. But, um, I'm, I'm sure that they were aware that those lawsuits were, uh, were going to be filed. For sure. Um, so I'm just going to read a quote, uh, from the letter from Stanford. It said, but we have new optimism based on new circumstancing, circumstances, excuse me, including significantly improved fundraising potential in support of our athletics programs and improvement in the financial investment markets. So like, yes, but also, you know, how much did announcing that the sports were getting cut, how much did that spur the alumni communities to invest in these sports and like improve financial markets? Like, yes, we know, like, Right. No, and I think at the time it was so interesting to everybody because Stanford is one of the, at least, you know, from a public perspective, one of the wealthiest, you know, schools around, right? It has that reputation of being very prestigious and and having such a large kind of alumni network, especially in the sports space. Um, Some, you know, outstanding world-class athletes who I know support Stanford and, and I'm sure give money to them. So I think that when the news came out that they were going to cut these 11, uh, like programs teams, it was like kind of baffling to everybody. Cause it's like, we, you, you have money. So it, it really didn't make sense to a lot of people. Um, and I think once some people <laughs> showed them the money, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's a really, really hard thing to, to kind of do, go against. And then, you know, with the threat of a lawsuit and spending more money on an argument that is, you know, essentially failed. Um, it, it, it only makes sense. It, it seems like it was the only kind of outcome that, that would happen is that these sports would have to come back. Yes. And kudos to Stanford for being better than U.S. soccer and spending money on 
fixing the issue rather than legal fees. Um, (laughs) But anyway, uh, but yeah, to that point, you know, Stanford, it is a private university and it is something of a black box in terms of its operations um, compared to public universities, you know, where we have access to all of the financials um, and can see exactly kind of what's going on. Uh, But as you mentioned, there's so much prestige around these programs, looking at the stats, 27 Olympic medals from these 11 programs alone and 20 national titles. Um, And even just this past March, a Stanford wrestler who wrestled unofficially, like independently without a Stanford logo, actually won a national title. Um, So, again, these programs are quality. They're total uh, quality, and they're yeah. like you said, they're Olympic. I think it's men and women's fencing, field hockey, rowing, uh, sailing, squash. I mean, you have synchronized swimming. You have a lot of these sports that um, that go into the Olympics, right? These athletes end up in um, in the Olympics in some of these areas, and and incredibly successful. Um, so it just it, it really it really didn't add up. It's a good thing. It, the turnaround is good, and and likely saved a lot of money in legal fees. Um, but it didn't really make sense from the start. Definitely. Well, definitely amazing news uh, and positive news to go into Olympic season with because, Kelsey, we are fast approaching it. It might be 2021 and it might be a year late, but we're getting there. Olympics, Um, here we come. Woo! Uh, Well, as exciting as that news is for Stanford's athletes, who have spent the last year in limbo waiting for to see if this would actually happen. Um, we are moving on to something that's horribly depressing and that absolutely sucks. And that's Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Uh, the Deshaun Watson case. I mean, for those of you who don't know, um, he has been uh, sued by, I think it's about 22 women um, for a number of different things. But the most recent thing that has, has come up was that um, I believe they were, what, massage therapists um, who are alleging um, harassment, abuse, et cetera. Um, and his lawyer, as well as himself, in a, in a recent statement, um, called them all liars. Um, uh, and, you know, a lot, there's a lot of talk that, you know, him or they are doing this for, um, for publicity, et cetera. Um, there's, you know, a number of, <laughs> of issues with that argument, but, uh, can get into that at a different time. But, um, as with the, the case itself, they're going into a status conference, which I think about 12 of the, um, alleged victims will be showing up, uh, at the conference. Um, and, I guess defending themselves probably on the courtroom steps out front and kind of coming at Sean Watson and his lawyers for, for calling on them, calling them liars. So I feel like what's particularly disturbing about this, like we all expect, you know, attorneys for the defense to say that, you know, their opponents are liars, right? We expect that, but why are all the news stories perpetuating the statement? And if you even Google search Deshaun Watson's name right now, like it's not about Deshaun Watson being, you know, what he's being accused of. It's still about his, like everything is still football related. And if you look at the case, it's just victim shaming. And so I don't, I, it's just troubling to me that the stories have been, the headlines have seemed to have been attempts to discredit the victims rather than more about like what is happening in the case and what Deshaun Watson did. 
Yeah. And, and it's another thing too. I mean, there's something called a privilege and absolute privilege litigation privilege that like, you know, if somebody called me a liar about something as serious as accusing somebody of, you know, sexual assault, harassment, et cetera, I would sue them for defamation, right? Like if somebody, like if I said that and, and somebody called me a liar about that, I'd sue them. I'd sue them because, you know, they're defaming my character by, by saying I'm dishonest. Um, but unfortunately in, you know, the world of, of lawsuits, there is something that when you're in uh, a, a case, when you're in litigation, um, you're, you're more able to throw these things out there, throw these statements out there and it's protected. You know, it, you're able to say this person is lying, um, whether or not it's true because it's within this privilege in, in, in court documents and filings, et cetera. So that's something that's, that's really kind of a tough pill for people to swallow is like, even if someone is being completely honest, um, and, and so there's evidence to back it up, you know, because that you're protected, uh, under the laws, you can go out and call these women liars. And that just perpetuates, uh, in generally victim shaming, um, you know, and, and that's, um, whether or not, you know, what happened in this case, we'll, we'll hopefully find out to some extent, but you know, the, the idea of, of continuing to just victim shame and, you know, it is not something that is lost on most women. Yeah. And of course, now as we're looking at what, at what is happening at Ohio state with this massage therapist who has been banned by the university for, um, essentially, uh, providing or soliciting sex from players, um, and then asking for payment. Um, this person was banned, uh, but the disparity in how these two stories are treated, the commonality is that the women are being blamed almost at every turn. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that doesn't even seem like something new, but I don't know why. It's just in 2021, it's still um, exhausting. Um, and it's not something that uh, it's not something that we're not used to. But, um, you know, and I think that's a responsibility, too, that that falls on journalists and the media um, and how they write these stories and how they tell them. Um, but if you kind of go into, if you go dive deeper into that, um, you know, what is a majority of the media, the sports media, et cetera, the majority of them um, are men. Um, and so that's the perspective that you're likely going to get the story from. Um, and so, you know, here's my plug for more, more diverse uh, voices in, in sport and media. Yay, definitely. Um, <laughs> that's why we're here. But uh, on that note, we do have some more positive news to get into after the break. So stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, last week, we got to talk about how women are helping women when it comes to women's sports. And now we have a cool story about the Jordan brand, uh, which perfectly time, timed up with the tip off of the WNBA season. Uh, the WNBA season started this past weekend. It was actually at the New York Liberty um, home opener at Barclays Center in Brooklyn uh, versus the Indiana Fever, which uh, Sabrina Ionescu, the, uh, the prodigy <laughs> coming out of Oregon, uh, hit a game game winner, uh, at the buzzer, um, to start off a, a fun season. Um, and, and games have been happening throughout, but, uh, what we're seeing, um, not just, you know, the, the WNBA tipped off, it's this historic 25th season. Uh, but there's also some really 
cool stuff coming in the style space. Um, and that is Jordan Brand signing a very large number of WNBA players um, to contracts and to be the face of the Jordan brand for women. You already had Maya Moore uh, from the Minnesota Lynx, uh, multi-time WNBA champion um, and uh, champion for for social justice reform. Uh, She signed with the Jordan brand in 2011, but recently you've had a larger number of um, players, maybe not as well known, but uh, very, very talented and have that uh, marketability of Kia Nurse, um, from Canada, Asia Durr, Jordan Canada, Satu Zabali, uh, Crystal Gingerfield, et cetera. And so what we're seeing is um, women getting paid. <laughs> um, and it's really, really exciting. And I'll say, too, like what Jordan Brand has done um, and something that's always kind of been a, a problem in the endorsement space for women is that a majority or, or a good amount of the endorsements have gone to white women, right? Like that quote unquote girl next door image, you know, that we kind of call it like the Sue Bird effect. Um, and what you're seeing is, is black women getting paid, getting these endorsements and um, you know, black women, the, the league, the WNBA is 80% black women. Um, and, and so that's, I think something that's really, really um it's necessary. It's been that black women have totally been uh, underutilized and underpaid in the, the endorsement and brand space. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, they're, they're the culture when it comes to all of this, when it comes to the WNBA, when it comes to these brands, sneakers, uh, style clothing, et cetera. So that's been something really cool to see. And I can tell you that it's influenced me to, to check out uh, a Jordan brand for, for kicks uh, coming up. Oh, for sure. And one of the things that I just loved from the article, I forget which player it was, but she was saying like she always wanted to be part of the Jordan brand. And when she walked in, they had a presentation ready for her. And she was like, she thought that she was going to have to like advocate for herself. And it was like, no, like kind of what we talked about last week, like athletes respect athletes and they, you know, they wanted her on their brand as much as she wanted to be part of the brand. And I just wanted to call out one other stat. Uh, I was looking it up while we were chatting and uh, there are only 21 NBA players signed to the Jordan brand. Yeah, that's, that's, it's big and that's important. Um, Before this, I mean, the only woman with Jordan brand was Maya Moore, right? Like that's just one and that's clearly not enough. Um, I will say, I hope the women are getting paid uh, a good amount compared comparatively uh, to the men as well. Yeah. but I think what we're seeing with, with your example of like, you know, I think it was Derica Hamby who walked in and they had this whole presentation laid out for her. It's just it's just people in positions of um, power and the people in the positions of who are making decisions, totally understanding that, like, this is a good business decision, you know, to have these athletes as the face of their brand because it's not, it's not a charity. I mean, it's, it's quite literally like these women have the platform, they have the talent, they have the skill, they have the style. Um, and they're being put in positions now that not only amplify themselves, but amplify the Jordan brand, um, and show women that, uh, you know, they're worth it. They're worth the money. Um, I think that's a really important message. Yeah. 
And one of the quotes that I love from the article, it was from one of the brand managers at Jordan. And she said that excellence doesn't have a gender. And I read that and I flipped out. I was so excited Um, because that, you know, what they're doing is exactly perpetuating that statement. They're saying, okay, the WNBA is only getting bigger and let's grow with it. And to your point, like it's a good business decision for them because as the WNBA gets more viewers, they're, they, they already have their foot in the door with all of the best players in the WNBA. Yeah, it's like investment like 101, right? Like what are the things that have a really high upside that are low in cost right now? And and doing anything with the WNBA right now, you know, it's not like low in cost in general, but comparatively to men's sports, it's considerably lower to invest. Um, and so it's like going in now and reaping the benefits, you know, down the road when this thing blows up, because it will. I mean, the WNBA now at 25 years old is in a better position than the NBA was at 25 years old. You know, they were they weren't filling out stadiums. They were kind of going to Congress in the early years saying, hey, you know, we're not for profit. And, you know, it's basically (laughs) a bunch of a bunch of men like investing in something that they liked and fully knowing that, you know, it was totally possible that they wouldn't make any money off of it, but they liked sport, right? Um, and so I think that people are are finally coming around to to the notion that like women's sports and the WNBA in particular is just the same. It's an investment, like business 101. And that, you know, the upside is absolutely there. And we're seeing it with everything, with viewership, with um, endorsements. I think it was just announced Google, Amazon. I mean, before when you would Google WNBA schedule, like nothing would come up, right? You'd have to go to the WNBA's website where anywhere else you could Google, I could Google NBA schedule and what comes up in like Google's own kind of tracker is like a complete schedule times and channels that the games are on. And so now, you know, the partnership with Google is you can Google WNBA schedule and it comes right up at the top of the page. I don't have to go searching for anything else. So it's just those little things that um, continue to uh, add accessibility to to watching uh, the league and, and hopefully growing it. Definitely. Hope you're listening, Google. You're listening to everything. Um, as an aside, what was it like to attend a live sporting event? Oh, it was quite wonderful. I, I will say it was surreal. The last time I had been to a sporting event was the She Believes Cup in um, March of t- 2020. So right before oh the gosh. pandemic started. And um yeah, it was surreal to to be in Barclays Center. And the attendance was only about, I think, like twelve to 1,700. So that place fits 19,000. Um, so it kind of feels like you're kind of at a like a small college game, you know, <laughs> back in the day where you could hear everyone. You know, you could talk to the refs. You can shout something out and, and everyone hears it. Um, but it was so nice. Um, and it's so fun, especially at Barclays. I mean, the New York Liberty before we're playing all the way up in Westchester. It's really hard to get to smaller gym, et cetera. Now you have them, you know, in the uh, ownership group with the the Nets and uh, in a world-class uh, playing environment. So it was, it was so fun. Uh, I still wait, I still can't wait for the day when, you know, we don't have to socially distance and, and oh wear masks, but it was, it was a sense of normalcy. It's coming soon. Um, yeah. We're planning our sports schedule for, we're, we're going to kick it off in the fall and do our rounds of live sports. Um, but it's very exciting. Um, 
Well, that's what we have for today. Before we wrap up the show, Kelsey, uh, shall we do our shout outs? Yeah. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, Sabrina Inescu, the uh, New York Liberty guard who had her first triple double Ooh. last night against the Minnesota Lynx. Um, I th- believe it was the 10th triple double in, in WNBA history. Um, it took her six games to get one. Um, and the other person, I think that the quickest that somebody else has gotten a triple double had been 59 games, three seasons. Um, so I think we're in for, uh, for some really fun basketball watching her. Um, she is after all the triple double record holder in college basketball and that's men's or women's. Um, so I think we're going to, we're going to see some more of that in Brooklyn. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm going to do a shout out. This isn't news, but, um, when I was reading, uh, you know, this article from the athletic about Jordan brands, um, it reminded me about Maya Moore and her foundation win with justice, uh, which works to free wrongly incarcerated individuals. Um, and so just want to give a shout out to her and that organization that's been actively working to ensure that justice is served in a way that actually works and does not wrongfully imprison people who do not deserve to be there. Shout out Maya Moore. we have for today as a reminder you can follow kelsey on twitter at ktrain underscore 11 me at meredith hein and the site at langrant 33 we'll talk to you soon thanks again for listening to play like a girl and as always go bucks